heavy rain. I don't know, but bomb cyclone, I, I guess it gets ratings. I'm not sure exactly how it all works here. But I, uh, I want to uh, ask you a question that's uncomfortable, uh, but not really. Um, it's a question you'll have an answer to, but we don't have time for everybody to share their answer. How many of you have a bad habit in your life? Go ahead. Look. See? The <laughs> All right. That's okay. And, um, and, and you know, some of you just can't even hold back. What, what would that habit be? On the count of three, one, two, three. Okay. See, there it is. Um, there's, there's stuff on our minds when we think of bad habits, right? Um, I, if you're not convinced you have a bad habit, uh, maybe you can do a similar search I did this week. I did a Google search about bad habits. And I immediately realized I was on to something that people think about a lot. A lot. So I'm not in any way surprised that your hands all went up, right, if mine went, stayed in my pocket, safely, safely out of view. But I, I'm with you. We've got them, don't we? Uh, okay, so here's a little sampling. Uh, did you know that there's a list of 283 bad habits called the ultimate list of bad habits? Did you know that? Write that down in case you didn't have your hand up and you're like, no, that's a problem for others, but not me. I don't have a bad habit. You'll change your mind early into that uh, list, okay? So 283 bad habits, the ultimate list of bad habits. The scary part of such a list is that you don't have to look real hard <laughs> to find habits uh, that you have. Really. I kind of went into it going, no, I don't know. What? Come on. I do some things that are different, but they're not like bad habits. And, it, and, and, and you find your way to a, a, a lot of habits that you have that other people don't like. Okay. Now, I was aware that when I asked the earlier question, some of you are here married and your spouse raised a hand. And I, 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 I tried not to, like, stare, but you were looking at your partner at that moment. <laughs> not sure what that's about, but that might be something to talk about. But um, one of the habits, though, on, my, on, uh, on that list makes me want to apologize this morning to more than a few of you and more than a few of you watching this morning from other places. Because um, I've always thought that talking with food in my mouth uh, was actually being efficient. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> think about it, okay? Uh, you need to eat, and we all like to talk. Talk about the ultimate time saver, right? And maybe you do what I've done because I've heard it so often from people I love and live with. Um, you know, they're, they're just like this. It's very the the queen of the castle. She's just wonderful. She's just <laughs> so I took my napkin up and I kept on talking and chewing at the same time. <laughs> 
So there it is. We've all got the habits. Okay, I, um, I, I actually gave up that Google search. It wasn't long that I was there. Um, when I discovered a recent, this is actually a recent survey I looked into a little bit, and it's called the Top Ten Bad Habits. And this just pains me to even admit it. Can you guess what was number five on that list? No, not chewing with food in my mouth. <laughs> you have to chew with food in your mouth, right? Okay, but you can't, you shouldn't talk. But anyway, no, it wasn't that. It was drinking too much coffee. <laughs> Burn it. Who comes up with stuff like that? I mean, who says who? Don't we all drink a pot and a half a day, right? Thank you. Okay. Um, okay, there's a more serious reason for having a little amusement this morning. Um, there's a habit that most people have. And if we're honest in admitting that we have it, it, for many of us, would earn actually the adjective um, stubborn. We would actually call it a stubborn bad habit. Now I've got you thinking. Um, <clears throat> it's the subject of the third verse of a hymn that was written 260 years ago that we're going to sing as soon as I'm done presenting God's word this morning. The, the hymn is, Come Thou Fount of Many Blessings. But you know the third verse, it's really a lamentation. It's a sigh. The guy that wrote it, by the way, he was 22 years old. Can you believe it? He wrote some powerful words. And, uh, and he was frustrated with himself. It's, it's, it's not even concealed in the least bit. He says of himself, and you tell me if it's just limited to him long ago, prone to wander. Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. What is our problem? Either he had a bad problem in the 1758, uh, or he's describing something that's been, had a grip on us for a very long time. Or at the least we can admit in our enlightened world today, we haven't gotten over that, have we? Um, not a new problem for sure. In fact, I, I did a little more searching. You would expect me to support what I'm saying. But in the very first stay away edict in the Bible, it's in Genesis chapter 2. So you don't have to look far. And the very first one, picture that sign I have you sometime imagine. And it's a sign that simply says, don't eat from that tree. My paraphrase. Stay away from that tree. And it was written by God, posted by God. Now, that's the first edict. The very first fail in the Bible. I'm not sure how much time transpired. I, no one can tell you that. But I did count how many verses transpired from stay away from the tree to 
They climbed it and ate its fruit. 14 verses. That's it. Now, millennia could have happened in between. I don't think so, though. I think it was a quick fail. I, I think, may I say it? Those words written 260 years ago belong in Genesis chapter 3 to describe, there were two of them, Adam and Eve, prone to wander. Hello, 14 verses later, prone to leave the God. I don't know if they loved him yet, but the God that was with them, hung out with them, came and visited them in the garden daily. Um, And it's been a problem ever since. As you find your way this morning to Judges chapter 2, Uh, I I want to introduce you to something that is worth writing down. So you're going to do two things at one time. Good luck. Ready? Go. Open your Bible, Judges 2. Grab a pen. Get ready to write. Okay? So here we go. I'm going to introduce you to what's known as a law of the harvest. Some would use the definite article. It is the law of the harvest. But there's a lot of laws of the harvest. One that you and I ought to have coffee and talk about. You never, ever reap in the same season you sow, that's a law of the harvest. And you're, you're going, wow, that's, a, that's insightful. It really is insightful. I didn't come up with it. But you never, ever reap in the same season you sow. It means you've got to sow. You've got to wait. You've got to wind it. You've got to persevere. You've got to stay, stay the course, and then you may see some fruit. Okay, But that's not the law I'm going to tell you about. The law is this. You ready to write? There's a bias in nature toward wild. All right? There's a bias in nature toward wild. Anybody in this room or watching that enjoys gardening will nod your head at this moment. There's a bias in my planter boxes toward wild. Maybe you've got more than planter boxes. Uh, there's a bias there toward wild. So I want you to imagine right now. Imagine tilling a piece of soil. Let's say it's the, it's the platform or stage up here, okay? Maybe 30 feet wide and 15 feet deep. Um, and you take a tiller because we're modern and we got tools like that. And we really go for it. And we clean it up. We get all the stuff out of it, the last year's crops, anything like that, and you get it perfect powder. The soil is just not a sign of anything in it. It's just soil, okay? And then something comes up, and you're pulled away before you can plant, okay? And you're gone for, I don't know, a month, or maybe it's, it's a season, three months. But you come back. What have you now come back to? Powder? What's wrong with this? What do you likely have? Weeds? And how's the condition of the soil? Hard. Sure. And you're like, no, that's not how I left it. There's a bias in nature toward wild. Here's another. 
random little sermon prop. See what I'm doing here? I would come over and do that on the piano, but I would have some eyes on me that wouldn't appreciate that. Hey, Vicky, look. Okay, so. All right, so there is a bias in housekeeping toward dust, is there not? Seriously, you can dust top to, top to bottom. Everything, it's all clean, all good. Come back a week later. You can have the house sealed up, shut. Come back a week later. You're like, why am I sneezing as I go through this? I just did this last week. What's the deal? Here's one more example. There's many, many more. But there's a bias uh, when it comes to internal combustion engines. All right? Toward wear and tear, which leads to repair. Right? You with me? My sermon illustration goes away when electric cars take over. I'm not sure how to illustrate. But that's true of engines. The thing under your hood, it is has a bias toward wear and tear and a trip to 3G Automotive and having them fix your car. Unless it's a Duramax diesel, and then it takes a little bit longer. But anyway, that's a sidebar. All right. You know where I'm going with this. There's a bias in people like me, like you. As the song says, toward wandering from God. The book of Judges represents 325 years of Israel's history where uh, the bias to wander plays out Again and again and ad nauseum again. Ten generations of wandering. Wow. Recently you'll recall that God's people had moved into the promised land but failed to follow God's command. We're looking at chapter 2 now. Uh, to clear the land of its pagan inhabitants. There were people living there. They were collectively the Canaanites. And God gave the commandment in verses 1 and 2. Let me just recap it for you. An angel of the Lord went up from Gilgal to Bochim and said, I brought you out of Egypt and led you into the land. By the way, by this time, they had failed to follow God's command. Chapter 1 is all about that. I brought you out of Egypt and led you into the land I swore to give to your ancestors. And I said, I will never break any covenant with you, my covenant with you. And you shall not make a covenant with these people in the land, the Canaanites. But you shall break down their altars. Yet you disobeyed me. What a wonderful question comes up. This is God speaking. Why have you done this? My instructions were not complicated, God would say. You're not slow people. Why have you done this? May I suggest because there's a bias in those people, in their hearts, toward disobedience. 
and maybe more than a few of our hearts. Uh, as a result, not surprisingly, the Canaanites and their gods would become an irritating influence that verse 3 tells us about. I will, as a result, I will not drive them out before you. They will become traps for you and their gods will become snares to you. And this led to widespread failure by God's people to follow him and what he has said. And it evolved into idolatry. Look at verse 11 if you need to turn the page as I do. And let's just see this pattern as it begins to unfold right in front of us. Verse 11, the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord and served the Baals. They forsook the Lord, the God of their ancestors, who was the God, as he described, that brought them out of Egypt. And they followed and worshipped various small g gods of the peoples around them. They aroused the Lord's anger because they forsook him and served Baal and Ashtoreth. In his anger against Israel, in God's anger against his own people. Take that in. Have a cup of coffee and talk about that. Man, so many of these things we could go a long ways with. No, no, no. God's this pushover. God's easy going. God's chill. God, that was, that was, God got over his bad attitude. No, he's not that God anymore. And on and on we go today. Not teaching from the Bible. More on that in a minute. In his anger against Israel, his people, the Lord gave them into the hands of the raiders who plundered them. He sold them into the hands of their enemies all around whom they were no longer able to resist. And whenever Israel went out to fight, they didn't have the right fuel in their tank. The hand of the Lord was against them to defeat them, just as he had sworn to them, and they were in great distress. Can I have you circle words in a Bible? Even if it's the few Bible, go for it. These are worth circling. They were in great distress. Hopefully we will cause somebody else that picks up that Bible if you borrowed it, and they're going to go, wow, what's that mean? And there's a reason for that. There always is a reason for great distress. Sometimes you see it immediately. Sometimes it takes a while to get it. In this case, the reason is given. These people did not do it. They did not carry out. They did not fulfill what God had commanded them to do so. Talk about tough times. They were in great distress. Talk about it. Harsh. We mustn't forget idolatry is a big deal to God. Idolatry or the worship of an idol as though it were God. That's idolatry. It doesn't just break one commandment, it breaks two commandments. Did you know that? The first two commandments in Exodus 20 are about idolatry. It's th it matters that much to God. It reads this way, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt. He keeps going back there. Are you seeing this pattern? If, if you were to ask God in an interview in heaven today, what was one of the biggest achievements? What's one of the things you don't ever want people to forget? I think he'd bring that up. There'd be others. There'd be, of course, his son. But I think 
you would hear him say, I brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself an image in the form of anything in heaven above or on earth beneath or in the waters below. The temptation is to do so. You shall not bow down to them or worship them, for I, the Lord your God, am the God that wants, my paraphrase, your full affection. His words, I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God. I will not share my throne with anybody or anything. There's not room for two. So the people in Judges were in great distress, verse 15. Can we just say, and I don't mean to pile on, it's of their own doing, is it not? Their, their pain was great because their sin was so great. Um, I need to stop for a second because there's an image that's hard to grasp in all of this. Um, needs to be said this this was done by god it says that they went out to fight and his hand was against him that's what i mean by this was done by god and when it says that you need to understand this let me let me state it and then we'll read it he did this not to destroy his people but to discipline his people he did this in fact, to bring back his people. Now, you know where I'm going, right? So turn there, would you, for a moment. Hebrews chapter 12. Hold your place here, and we're going to go clear over near, near the end of the New Testament. Hebrews chapter 12. Words that just really need your eyes on them. This is the same God that wrote these words. And uh, chapter 12 is trying to convey the picture I'm just now describing to you. But these hard things were done not because God was trying to destroy these people or you or me, but because God was saying, I want to bring you back. I love you. I'm not, I'm not okay with what's going on here. And I need, I, I need to make a move in your life. So verse 4 of chapter 12. In your struggle against sin, you've not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. And have you completely forgotten this word of encouragement that addresses you as a father addresses his son? Did you circle? Did you see that in your mind as we read that? This word of encouragement. What word is that? Well, my son, do not make light of the Lord's discipline and do not lose heart when he rebukes you because the Lord disciplines the ones he loves and he chastens everyone he accepts as his son or daughter. Endure hardship as discipline. God is treating you, he repeats the theme, as his children. For what children are not disciplined by their father? If you're not disciplined and everyone undergoes discipline, then you are not legitimate, not true sons and daughters at all. Moreover, we have all had human fathers who disciplined us and we respected them for it. Don't get lost in, yeah, but I know an exception. I know when my dad was losing it, he was over the top. 
he, you know, not my dad. He did a perfect job of everything. But uh, not, and, you know, we all know exceptions. You know, I think dad, I don't, I did not deserve 22 spankings. And no, I meant two. That's what I meant. Right? So we, we know that. But we want to, we want to find except, don't, don't make exceptions here. We all had human fathers disciplined us. We respected them. How much more should we submit to the Father of Spirits and live? They disciplined us for a little while as they thought best. But God disciplines us for our good in order that we may share in something we are not able to have without it. Holiness. Wow. No discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. Can I get an amen? Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. Um, Therefore, strengthen your feeble arms and weak knees. Make level paths for your feet so that the lame may not be disabled, but rather healed. God is saying, when you wander, when you go your own way, when you disobey, wander, go your own way and disobey. That applies to the guy talking right now. I've done all the above. And not when I was a kid. Okay? Um, Because I love you is how I read verse 6. Because I love you, I'm going to take these measures great distress to borrow Judges 2.15. I'm going to take those measures to discipline you and bring you back because I desire so much more for you. It doesn't make it easier. It doesn't make the sting of a spanking or the ouch of, of you know, this of uh, uh, a lifetime of restriction. I've heard that one a number of times, but um, it, it's it's just what God uses because He loves us to bring us back. So I told you to hold your place. Go back to Judges two now. Whenever the great distress meter hit high, God would send a deliverer. Now we're getting into the guts of judges. Look at verse 16. Then the Lord raised up judges. This is right after he said they were in great distress. Who saved them out of the hands of these raiders. Oppressors. There were 12 deliverers that God raised up in 325 years. 12 of them. 12 who were judges. That's Thus, the title of the book. Twelve of them um, were sent by God for the purpose of rescuing his people. They had gotten themselves into a pinch, and he sent them twelve people. Why twelve? Not because there's some sort of reference, uh, sort of veiled reference to the disciples. No, I don't think so. I think it's just uh, they're... There was a repeating pattern here that lasted 325 years. So it took a lot of deliverers and a lot of crying out to God by different generations of people, 10 generations. And each time God would dispatch 
a rescuer, a deliverer. By the way, uh, wouldn't it be accurate to say that this same pattern that we're reading about uh, uh, to beset humanity has been with us from the very beginning to the very present? You, you get that, right? Because otherwise we're just making, uh, you know, we're just giving our time to something long ago and it doesn't matter to us today. But it does, doesn't it? Uh, <coughs> this pattern of people wandering from God is what the rest of the book of Judges is about. So I want you to see this as I read verses 17. It's really captured. It's condensed. In fact, I'll go so far as to tell you verses 17 to 23 is the pattern the rest of the book repeats. Okay? All the rest of the chapter. So look, it's important as you let the screen come down before me because I'm going to show you something. Yet they were not, they would not listen to their judges, verse 17, but prostituted themselves to other gods and worshipped them. They quickly turned from the ways of their ancestors who had been obedient to the Lord's command. Whenever the Lord raised up a judge for them, he was with that judge and he saved them out of the hands of their enemies as long as the judge lived. For the Lord relented. He had a change of mind. There's more to discuss there. Because of their groanings under those who oppressed and afflicted them. The raiders that we've been learning about. But when the judge died, the people returned to ways even more corrupt than those of their ancestors, following other gods and serving and worshiping them. They refused to give up their evil practices and stubborn ways. Remember we said earlier, stubborn bad habits? Verse 20, therefore the Lord was very angry with Israel and said, because this nation has violated the covenant that I ordained for their ancestors and has not listened to me, I will no longer drive out before them any of the nations Joshua left when he died. I will use them to test Israel and see whether they will keep the ways of the Lord and walk in it as their ancestors did. And the Lord allowed those nations to remain. He did not drive them out at once by giving them into the hands of Joshua. Come next week and we're going to talk about the tests that God brings into our lives. But let's, let's probe into this a little bit further. Here's, here's the, the way this pattern played out in Israel. Okay, Israel, uh, you're seeing a graphic now. Uh, I have um, Bible Project. If you're not familiar with that, please go there. I want to give them a shout out. It's a phenomenal, uh, easily accessed um, website. And you can go there and find, uh, this is just a picture, but it's actually an animated description of, I think, almost every book of the Bible. And a narrator that's got just an amazing voice. It's really good. You're going to come away in about six minutes going, wow, I need to play it again. That was so descriptive. But the deal is, Instead of driving out the Canaanites, um, they, they moved in among them. Israel moved in among the Canaanites, and the trouble soon followed. So you're seeing it there. 
they would sin living among the, the Canaanites. And then that, that they sinned against God. I'm calling that rebellion. God told them to live a certain way, and they said no. They rebelled. And then that leads, secondly, to oppression that you see up there. They suffered oppression for their sin. Let's call that ruin. Rebellion led to ruin. And then they eventually, as people do when they're under a lot of pain, they, they eventually admit their error. Do you see what I'm doing right now? Okay, 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 okay. Right? That's kind of a version of that. And they, they repent. They say, okay, okay. And they admit their error. And then they're sent a deliverer. God releases a judge to rescue them. And they eventually experience a brief time of peace until that rescuer passes. And, and he restores them in their relationship with God. He, he brings peace and all the good things. And then we find our way, see the dotted line clear up to the top, repeat. They sin again. The sin cycle repeats. I know some of you are taking pictures of that. That's great. Uh, Bible Project, just to say their name again, they gave me permission to share this with you today. and I just think it's fantastic. Um, and I, I've referenced it in my research for this series on Judges. So I would love it if the narrative ended, if I can bring you back to verse 16. Um, that the Lord raised up a judge and he saved his people and let's close the book. I, I really do. That would, that would be mission accomplished, wouldn't it? It'd be relationship restored. Uh, but their habit of wandering from God um, happened, as I said earlier, again and again and again. And God throughout Judges sends these rescuers to act on his behalf. They are heroes. I want to talk to you about heroes for a second here. What is a hero? Well, they, they come through in just the nick of time. They come through when all other options have expired. There's nothing that's working. The fix isn't helping. I realize, and I understand this, I'm describing our world as much as any other time in history. It's broken. And, and God would send a rescuer in a heroic way. Why would he do it that way? Can I just put myself out there? Because I think that's God's way. I think if we said, God, what do you want people to know most about who you are? We would, most of us say he, he's very loving, right? Um, he's forgiving, right? Mo that would be absolutely true. But... He would also say, I want you to know me as a hero, as a mighty God. Got me thinking about um, days of darkness, like the ones we live in. This is in Judges. You have to go 600 years further into the future, so closer to where we live, 600 years, to the days of a prophet named Isaiah. And in chapter 9, the prophet describes his day as dark. And he says, it's not only dark, but people were living in darkness. It was not good. They had their Portland, Oregons. You know, they had the, 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 the 
garbage. They could go into great detail. They had it going on. Um, but Isaiah takes the time in chapter 9 to describe a rescuer. And that rescuer, un, uh, he's, like, he's unlike all other rescuers in Judges or rescuers before or since. Isaiah said things like this, the days were spiritually dark. I'm quoting from Isaiah 9. And the people living in those days were in deep darkness. And as a result, ready for this? Their distress was great. There it is again. Then God sends his rescuer. He has a name. Jesus Christ. He described it this way. You're used to hearing these words about a month and a half from now. For unto us a child is born. Unto us a son is given. And the government will be upon his shoulders. And his name will be called Wonderful Counselor. Because most of us are confused half the time. We need counseling. Mighty God which is a Hebrew construct that some translators believe describes God as a hero. Heroic God. Mighty God. Everlasting Father. Prince of Peace. Um, and then it says this, of the greatness of his government and of his peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne forever establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time forth and forever and it's guaranteed to happen because the zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish it this is powered by God talk about a permanent fix Jesus the ultimate judge deliverer and rescuer came to win my wandering heart. Want to know how it turned out? Him coming? I guess that really depends on you and on me. Right? I, I, um, I read in the Gospels some unimaginable words reported in John's Gospel. You're used to verse 16 of chapter 3. Well, just listen long enough and you'll hear the unimaginable. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. For God did not send his son into the world to judge the world, but to save the world through him. Listen closely. Whoever believes in him is not condemned. No other qualifications. You just got to believe in Jesus. Not condemned. But whoever does not believe stands condemned already. Because they have not believed in the name of God's one and only son. And here are those words. 
How did it work out? Not when one of these 12 judges showed up in the book of Judges to rescue. But how did it turn out when God sent his ultimate rescuer, his son Jesus, into a dark world? How did it turn out? God's verdict is this. I'm quoting now verse 19 of the same passage. The verdict is this. Light, another name for the rescuer, another name for the hero Jesus, another name for the deliverer. Light has come into the world and everybody went, wow, finally we can see. Finally, we, we know where we're going. It was, it was so done with darkness. It's hard to read how that verse ends. Light came into the world and people chose darkness instead of light. Darkness instead of light. Because their deeds were evil. Seems that changed hearts and judges were hard to come by. Just as they were in Jesus' day. And in ours as well. But hear this. The worst of all bad habits sin um, may be stubbornly hard to break but Jesus Christ can pull it off amen if you're stuck in your sin you need a savior you don't need a bottle of pills they run out you need a savior Um, I'd like you bow, bow your heads with me at this time because Jesus is the answer that will work. You and I must come to him. Jesus went on to say that those the Son who has set free will be free indeed. You will break free from bad. You will have the power that you never had to conquer, to overcome your sin. And to be home with him one day when he calls or comes for you. Those whom the Son sets free will be free indeed. Maybe a starting point as we respond this morning is to sing the song, Come Thou Fount. Admit those words describe you as much as they describe me. Prone to wander, Lord, I feel it to leave the God I love and I want to stop that today but I need your help Lord a little later we're going to sing a, a song called 
amazing grace with uh, words that describe what it's like to be stuck in sin. My chains are gone. I've been set free. My God, my Savior, has ransomed me. And like a flood, His mercy reigns. Unending love. Amazing grace. If you've never turned to Jesus, you don't have what it takes to break free for very long. You'll be bound again and it'll be worse than the first time. But he comes to, to win your heart with love. To draw you close to himself. To be the hero that actually fixed your sin problem. The worst problem a human can have. Will you turn to him right now? Just say, yes, Jesus, I want you. I don't know what that means, but have your way with me. Let's respond in song now.